Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. So far, as you're turning there, so far in the book of 1 John, a lot of the book has been an assessment of self. Am I legit? Am I a legitimate uh, Christian? Am I living out what God would call me to live out? Well, today, I think the assessment actually shifts, and now it's an assessment of God and finding confidence that He is legit. Okay, so at first there's, am I you know, kind of looking internally? Am I showing fruits? Am I loving the brothers? Am I obeying God's commandments? Am I? And now it's, is he worth trusting in and believing in and finding my confidence in Christianity and faith, ultimately in the Bible and uh, God's word? trusting that. And so, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13. Let me read it, and we'll walk right through it this morning. This is what God's Word says. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the word of God this morning. And I don't know if you noticed the trend there of a certain word. Testify or testimony. The question I think we need to be asking, and I think all of us do ask at one point or another, is do we have adequate reason for our faith? Do we have adequate reason for our faith? tell you, uh, I stumbled in my faith uh, when I was in seminary, going to school to be a pastor. That's a terrible time to stumble in your faith, by the way, and just like, am I doing, is this right? Is this right? Uh, and I think that's something that from time to time all of us might go through, and, and I did in seminary. That's why a lot of uh, people will say, half-heartedly joking, that seminary is where your faith goes to die. Um, because you're just digging in and studying, and then you start to start questioning all these things that you never really even thought were questions. And, and so I remember I was in seminary, and I know exactly where I was sitting at. I could take you to the library, to that back corner, in between bookshelves. There was this little desk and a lamp, and I remember just always going to that little nook in the library and just studying. And I just had piles of books, and I remember just sitting back and just saying, I just don't know. 
I just can't answer this, these questions. And so I remember I texted my uh, pastor back in Kansas City, and I said, if you've got time anytime this week, I need, I need to talk to you. I, I, need a, I need someone to answer these questions for me. And I just remember my, my, my confidence was shook a little bit. And, and I think if you're being honest, maybe you've been there before. I think a lot of us have. Reality is there's a lot of arguments that people will come up with that seem convincing, which are against God. A lot of arguments that people will come up with that seem convincing, which are against God, right? That bad things happen all the time, and sometimes they seem meaningless. Like there was no rhyme or reason behind it. It just happened, and then you have to ask God, where were you? And then there's the hypocrites in the church, disingenuous Christians that don't really help the testimony of God, but rather make it harder for skeptics to believe something's real going on here. You know what I'm talking about? There's that. There's the fact that he's not physically present with us today. Where I can come up and shake his hand and ask him some questions. And beyond that, when my prayer requests aren't being answered how I would want them to be answered, saying, God, you're not physically present. And I'm not sure if my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. And then, of course, there's that infamous argument that there are so many religions out there. How do you know this one's the right one? Right, and I could just go on and on and on about these arguments that seem legitimate, that seem convincing, which are against God. Right? And so many then, because of all those different arguments that I just mentioned, many people would conclude, no, God didn't create man Vice versa, man created God to give him some kind of comfort about the afterlife. Have you heard that before? God didn't create man. Man created God to give him some kind of comfort. That's what they would conclude. Well, I think the reality is that the case for God, not against God, the case for God in the Bible and His Word is strong. Overwhelmingly so. So much so that I couldn't agree more with Norman Geisler's book title, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. The case for God is overwhelmingly strong. And still it's something that we all wrestle with sometimes and have to consider. Here in this text, 1 John 5, 6 through 13. John talks about this reality that we have to consider God as if God's on trial. As if God is on trial. I say that because he uses this word testify and testimony eight times in eight verses. Okay? There's a theme, something he's trying to get at here. And this word testify is. A courthouse term. A spoken testimony is a courthouse term. Right? You can just imagine the, the putting right hand on your Bible, left hand in the air. Do you swear? Say the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help you God. Did I get that right? I, just, I think I got that right. But that, that, right, that's, the, that's the image. Right? Yes. 
I do. And, and you go up and you stand on stage and you testify that something's true. He says eight times in eight verses, that's what's happening here about God. So he's kind of giving this image that God is on trial to prove that he's legitimate. And we just need to say from there, that's very backwards from how it should be. God doesn't deserve to be on trial before us. We deserve to be on trial before Him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will be on trial before Him. That everyone will one day stand before God. Give an account for what He has done good and bad. God doesn't deserve to be on trial before us. And yet still, this is amazing, God invites us to question and evaluate and wrestle, investigate the things of God. He invites us to do that because He has nothing to hide, right? He has nothing to hide. He has no threat of us finding a lie or a contradiction. His case is squeaky clean and His Word is truth. So He invites us to question. Have at it. Dig as deep as you want. And by God's grace, our investigation would lead us to seeing Him as He is. That our eyes would be open to seeing Him as He really is. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, taste. It's like, right, try. Check it out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if you're unsure about Jesus today, if you're unsure about this whole Christianity thing, let me just talk to you directly. God invites you to ask those questions. He invites you to investigate. He's not scared of your investigation because you will taste and by God's grace you will see that He is good. You will see that He is good. And so as God stands before mankind on trial, in this passage it seems that He is, as He stands on trial before mankind, what do we know about His testimony? Two things. Two things this morning. I'll just lay them out there and then we're going to look at them each individually. The first one is that God's testimony is verified. You could say authenticated, legitimized. It's verified. And then secondly, God's testimony is good news for you. It's verified, it's legit, and it's good news for you. Let's look at both of those individually. I think that's what the text is leading us to, to see here this morning. Firstly, God's testimony is verified by others. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Uh, this is what it says. Okay, hopefully you're looking down at it again or up on the screen. It says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the, and the blood. Not only by water, but by the water and the blood. Sorry. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree. Their testimonies agree. Have you ever uh, heard somebody tell you something, and you're like, 
I don't know if I believe you right now. Talking about, I just don't know if I should believe you right now. My little brother, maybe you've met him before as he's come and visited a few different times, but Nate, he's a, I'll just say he's a storyteller, okay? He's a storyteller. And um, he, uh, he gets on his Bluetooth phone. Uh, he's got a f- small little cell phone, and he's got a Bluetooth that goes with it. It makes him feel real cool, you know? Walks around with his Bluetooth, you know? And uh, he'll tap, yeah, Nate here, you know, <laughs> just like talking. And, uh, and I'll come up and like, hey, Nate, help me out with this, and, and try to talk to him. And he's like, oh, shh, I'm on the phone, you know? And I'm like, you're not on the phone, you know? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, who are you talking to? He's like, I'm talking to my John Deere dealer up in Minnesota. And I'm like, no, you're not. And he, we're just like arguing back and forth if he's talking to this guy. I can't even remember his name now. Sarah would remember his name. But like his story is consistent. And, uh, and so one of these times I, I grabbed his, ear, uh, his earpiece, his Bluetooth, and I was like, Nate, stop playing around. I was like, quit talking to my son if you're a real guy. And the, and the person goes, uh, okay. I'm like, oh. Oh, here, you know, I, I just gave it back. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and, um, but you just don't know if the testimony is true. What you're being told, what they're saying to you right now is, is true. Right? In the Bible, you need multiple witnesses for anything to be taken seriously. If you say something and you want people to believe it, especially in law, you've got to have more than one witness that backs it up. Okay? And that's even written in the Mosaic Law. That's the Old Testament, the Levitical Law. You wouldn't even be heard in court with your accusation of somebody else that they did this or that. You wouldn't even be heard in court unless multiple people can testify. We see that in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And that's why, if, if you know the story in the Old Testament, that's why whenever Israel was invading Canaan to figure out what they've got going on here and what kind of places they're going to be conquering, they sent people out two by two, spies, right? Because when they come back and tell Israel, this is what we found we just can't believe one guy's word. We have to, two guys had to have seen it. That's why they sent two spy, or spies in pairs of two. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus would send out his 72 in pairs, two by two. He would send them to go and preach the word because their testimony of Jesus needed to be validated in Israelite culture by two or more. When we see God's message to mankind, I say all this because when we see God's message before mankind about Jesus, and when God's message is on trial, it can be backed up by three witnesses. That's what it says here. Three testify. Three testify. First, we see the water and the blood. So John calls up the first two witnesses. He says, witness number one, witness number two, come on down. Hand on the Bible, left hand in the air. I'm not going to do it again because I'll probably mess it up this time. But he calls down the witnesses, right? He says, water, you're up first. Water gives their testimony. Blood, you're up second. Blood gives his testimony. What, is, what does John mean, right? 
What does John mean by the water and the blood testify? Well, there's a lot of interpretations of this, and we can't get into all of them. My best understanding of the water and the blood would be that the water would be the baptism of Christ, where the the heavens open up, and God speaks down to this crowd of people, this is my Son! Right? So he says, water, come up and tell us what happened that day. Tell us what happened that day. He says, well, the heavens opened up, and this voice from heaven. Okay, thank you. Water, blood, come on. And I think the blood has to do with the crucifixion of Christ. And, and so the blood could tell the story of what happened that day where, where the, the earth shook, and the dead started coming out of the ground. And the centurion says, surely this was the Son of God. So you have the baptism saying, this is my son, and the crucifixion with the centurion saying, surely that's the son of God. And we have these two events declaring, agreeing with one another who Jesus is. That's what I think is going on here in John's mind. The water is the baptism, or the the start of his ministry, and the blood is the conclusion of his ministry, his death. And so I think, in other words, what John is saying is, we can know what God says about Jesus is legitimate, because of the start of Jesus' ministry and the end of His ministry, tell the same story. And so then we can assume everything in the middle also validates Jesus. That would be the healings, the exorcisms, the raising people from the dead, the food being multiplied, the walking on water. All of this testifies to the legitimacy of Jesus as the Son of God. Now, you may say, yeah, but I wasn't there to see that happen. Right? Be a good skeptic to say that. Good critical thinker to say that. I wasn't there to see it. Yeah, but reality is you weren't there to see 99.9% of history. And you accept it gladly, don't you? Thankfully, though, there are many others who were around when Jesus lived and died and can tell the story. Not just in the written Word of God, but even secular sources from antiquity can back that up. In fact, even more interesting, if you're a nerd like me, you'll like this. What are the two groups that hated Jesus? It would be the Romans and the Jews. Right? They're the ones that crucified Him. Romans and the Jews. They can't stand the story of Christianity. Okay, so if anyone would go against the story of Christianity, it would be the Romans and the Jews. Well, what we find when we go to those two groups and what writing we do have from the ancient world is that these two groups, the Romans and the Jews, who were anti-Christian, refused to deny the death and legitimacy of Jesus on the cross couldn't deny it. It happened. You have Roman historians like Tacitus and Josephus. You have philosophers, I might butcher his name, but Marabar Serapion. Romans say, so yeah, that happened that day. Yeah. And you can read their stuff today. And then you have people on the, Jew, uh, on the Jewish side where, did you know that the Jewish official holy book called the Talmud written by their rabbis, confirms the death of Jesus on the cross. It happened. 
The Romans and the Jews back it up. And so John says, you got two that testify. The baptism, the water, and the blood, and everything in the middle. It's authenticated. And then John says, thank you, water, blood, you can take a seat. I'm going to call up the third and final witness to the stand. The Spirit. And the Spirit, He's not a witness from back in history. He's not a historical witness, but rather He's an internal witness. Not a historical witness, an internal witness within us. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree. The Spirit agrees with what history tells us. The Spirit within us. You know, God's indwelling Spirit does a lot of things in a Christian's life. First off, He gives us faith. He convicts us about sin. He empowers us to do good works. He emboldens us to share the gospel. The Spirit indwelling within us does a lot. And what John is hitting on here is the Spirit indwelling within us leads us to have an internal confidence about certain things. One thing that he leads us to believe, Romans 8.16, is that we're children of God. It says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So He gives us this confidence about something. And, and here, back in 1 John, the Spirit testifies to us internally that God's Word is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. And let me say, it's, I was talking to a Sunday school class about this just before service. The, the Spirit testifying within us is far more than just like a feeling. We could confuse it for a gut feeling, but it's far more than just a feeling because a feeling, a gut feeling, well, those can come when it's 70 and sunny and, it, and nothing's going wrong in my life, but when it's rainy and everything's going bad, maybe that gut feeling it starts to get rocked, right? Me and seminary. It's more than a gut feeling. It's when it's rainy, it's like a hurricane in your life, and you can still say, I know that I know that I know that God is here and that He loves me and His Word is right and true. The Spirit testifies. It's more than a, a feeling. It's a confidence empowered by the divine. It's an amazing thing. And he testifies alongside with what history testifies. Having these three witnesses, both the ones in history and this internal one, we can trust that God's message is more reliable than any other message. That's what he says in verse 9, right? If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. You ever heard people, uh, had somebody come up to you and uh, two people telling completely opposite stories? Normally, if your mom and dad, it's the, it's the brother and sister, the brothers, right? Come like, no, he did it, no, he did it. And you're trying to, okay, who did it, right? I'm telling completely opposite stories. And 
you're like me, sometimes you make the mistake of believing the wrong kid, right? And then you find out later, you lied to me. How dare you? You know, right? right? And the other one was actually telling the truth, and you punished the one that was telling the truth and sent them to their room or spanked them and come to find out, actually, they weren't lying at all. They did nothing wrong. What am I doing? I believe the wrong person. That's, that's kind of what John is saying here. You're going to believe man's testimony when God's is greater? What are you doing? You're going to believe what all these people are just pumping out there on social media, what all these people are just saying, and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to take it as truth. When it goes against this, and John's saying God's testimony is better. The blood testifies. The water testifies. History testifies. The Spirit testifies. God's testimony is better. So God's testimony is, number one, verified. Number two, it's going to be quicker. God's testimony is good news for you. God's testimony is good news for you. God has a lot to say in this book, doesn't he? (laughs) It's a big book. God has a lot to say to us that he is eternal, that he created all things, that through Abraham, he blesses all the nations. He tells us that he plans to come again, make a new heavens and new earth. He tells us a lot, but John wants to emphasize here in 1 John the part about God's testimony where he promises life. Where he promises life. That's what we see in verses 11 and 12. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us. Okay, what is it? He gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You see, this is really important. I, I, I need you to hear this today. Part of God's testimony to you and I is that He gives us eternal life. You see, everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, has an eternal existence. All of us will exist for eternity. There's no question about that. We are all everlasting creatures. But not everyone will enjoy life during our eternal existence. You see, the gift of life comes through and only through the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have that life. You see, it's achieved by Jesus' work on the cross, dying for your sins. It's proven by Jesus' resurrection out of the tomb, and it's made effective by trusting in Jesus that His actions really atone for your sins. It's in Jesus, His death, His resurrection, and your faith in Him. It's in Jesus. So, my question for you as I'm wrapping up today. I want you to think about this, okay? What do you do with God's testimony to you 
about eternal life through Jesus? What do you do with that? To use the courthouse analogy one last time, God called His witnesses to the stand to testify on His behalf. He called the water. He called the blood. He called the Spirit. They all agree. They all testify. And now God calls you and I to be the jurors. Right? That sit and listen to those testimonies. That hear those testimonies. He calls you to be on jury duty. And you have to decide if he has a convincing case, if you'll believe in him or not. He invites you to question. And if you believe his testimony, verse 10 says that God, God's testimony will dwell in you. When you believe in him, his testimony dwells in you. And verse 13, the last verse that we read today, also tells you that it will give you confidence that you have eternal life. This is what happens when you believe the testimony that God has. If you don't believe His testimony, John is very clear. Verse 10, what that means, that you're saying God's a liar. Whoever does not believe that God, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. So let me just say, you're called jury members to give an answer, each one of you. And jury members must have a verdict. We're not allowed to be agnostic before the judgment seat of God at the end of time. Being on the fence and unsure is not an option. Maybe you don't have an answer today. I'm not trying to pressure you into one. Maybe you won't have an answer tomorrow. But you will be called to give a decision. And until you do, say you're riding the fence. Fence riding is a decision to not trust Him as Lord today. It is. To not believe, to not submit, to not accept, to not love, to not serve. That is a decision to not do that today. So my prayer for everyone here today that you would believe the testimony of God found in His Word. Verified through history and verified through the Spirit within us to believe, to trust, to follow, to love. And if you're really unsure about that and you're questioning, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to any of you today about that. There will be people up here that would love to pray with you if that's the case, or you can talk to me after service. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.